Amen. You may be seated and welcome. It's great to see everybody this morning. And uh, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to Psalm chapter 103. Psalm 103. And if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in the pewbacks. And you can find Psalm 103 on page 470. Let me just say, first of all, that it was great to uh, be gone last week. Not because we wanted to be away from you all, but... I think Pam and I really needed some time off, and we went with some friends up into the mountains, and we had an incredible time. If you've never, if you've never been to uh, Greer, Arizona, it's 8,500 feet. There's water, there's streams, there's lakes. It's like you're thinking, this is God's country. And uh, it's all God's country. It's, all God, it's God's world, but it was just amazing up there, and we really had a nice time. And Thankful to be back, thankful for David preaching uh, in my absence. You know, one of the things that you can find at times in your life that you can be so overwhelmed with what's happening around you, that you start feeling disconnected from the Lord. Your focus on the Lord starts to wane. It could be financial pressures or Relational conflicts, it could be work, it could be a prodigal, it could be a parent, a child, a sibling. And all of a sudden, these things are consuming your thoughts, and God is not. Am I the only one that's ever been there before? It can happen to the best of us and to the worst of us. See, that may have been what David was feeling when he wrote Psalm 103. He was so overwhelmed, maybe, with what is going on in his life. And we don't specifically know, but it could have been that when David wrote this, he had been fleeing from Saul. Saul, who was the first king of Israel, yet David had been anointed by by Samuel to be king. And for 13 years, he fled from Saul. It could have been written when he was fleeing from his son Absalom, who betrayed him. And there were times where it was just, what do I do? I know the right things to say, but my heart's not there. Psalm 103 may have been the antidote that led him to truly worship God. When you look at Psalm 103, there's no petitions, there's no laments. It's pure praise. It's pure worship. He just rejoices in the Lord and all that the Lord has done for him. This is one of the most joyful and upbeat and uplifting psalms in the book of Psalms. And it's paired actually with Psalm 104. They're considered the the twin towers of praise. If you look at Psalm 103, it begins with the words, Bless the Lord, O my soul. It ends with the words, bless the Lord, O my soul. And then you see in in 104, bless the Lord, O my soul. It ends with those same words. Very similar except different. Because in Psalm 104, these are praises to God. But in Psalm 103, it's praises about God. And what you see in Psalm 103 is David is calling his own soul to worship because he's struggling. He's reminding himself, awaken soul. 
Some of you, some of us, maybe right now need to hear those words. You know the right things to say. You know the right things to do. But your heart's not there. And David realizes that one of the greatest things he can do is to recite the great works of God and the gospel. What Christ has done for him. This is a call for our souls to awaken to who God is and what he's done for us. Here's the big idea. I'll put it on the screen. Remembering who God is and reflecting on what he has done should compel you to worship him. It's when you remember who he is. He's all-powerful, all-present. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. And you reflect on what he has done. He, is, he has forgiven us of our sins. He has taken our feet uh, out of the pit and set them on a rock. He has taken our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. He is the one who has purchased our salvation. See, when you start to reflect on all that, how can you not worship? Because your mind is starting to reflect on who he is and what he's done. Let me, let me read this psalm, and as I do, hear David's cry. Maybe let, for some of you, this is your cry. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he forget, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Thank you, Jesus. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as east is from west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To, keep tho to, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. Obey, obey the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, who will do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of, the, of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let me ask you, what do you do when you don't feel like worshiping? What do you do? Do you retreat? Or do you meditate on God's grandeur and his greatness? 
I want to answer some questions. Actually, one question. And that is, when you don't feel like worshiping, what do you do? What do you do? Well, we learn from David. First of all, and there's this progression here. When you don't feel like worshiping, first, remember to worship. Sounds simple. But when you don't feel like worshiping, remember to worship. Look at verse 1 again. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David is digging deep right now to praise the Lord. It's as if he's talking to himself, calling himself to worship, speaking to his own soul. I love what John Piper says. He says, come on, soul, join my lips. So don't sound like a hypocrite. It's like my lips are saying it, but my soul's not there. And he's just crying out like, come on, soul, wake up. Some of us need to wake up. Not our outward works, but just from the inside out. He's telling himself to bless the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. It's not just words, but it's everything. It's a reminder of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's it's known as the Shema, the Jewish Shema. Shema means to hear. Look what Deuteronomy 6 says. Uh, It says, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Then he says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all, that word all is so important, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In in Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus was asked by by an attorney, as Eric would say, by a lawyer, you know, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. David is saying here, he says, bless the Lord with, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, with all that is within me. When you struggle to worship, what do you do? David says, worship. Worship anyway. Here's the point. When you don't feel like worshiping, what should you do? Worship. You should worship. In fact, worship until you worship. I'm kind of stealing that from Spurgeon. Spurgeon says, pray until you pray. Let me, let me show you what Spurgeon says. He says, pray until you can pray. Pray to be helped to pray and do not give up praying. He says, like, if you don't feel like praying, what should you do? Pray. He says, he says don't give up praying because you cannot pray. For it is when you think you cannot pray that is when you are praying. Pray until you pray. Worship until you worship. Worship until you worship. When we call ourselves to worship, we need to do as David does. We need to call everything within us to worship. See, worship is not about externals or rituals or rites or rote prayers. Real worship is something spiritual that must come from the heart of one who's been gripped by the greatness of God. Let me ask you something. Have you been gripped by God's greatness? Have you been gripped by God's greatness? When he says, bless the Lord, it essentially means to praise the Lord, to worship the Lord. It's derived from a word 
a Hebrew word that means to kneel, to show adoration or gratitude. And we bless him by honoring his name. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that, was it, that is within me. Bless his holy name. And now that, you know, some people might say, oh, I just need to put up his name and I need to worship his name. No, when, it, when, when you see the word name in the Bible like that, it means his character attributes. His, 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 um, his, uh, at, his, his nature, his goodness. David is blessing God's inherent qualities. He's digging down deep. Now, I know there's times where people come to church and, and they're not worshiping. And maybe by the second or the third song, their heart starts to get there. And that's okay. But I would encourage you that you would get your heart there before you even come to church. In fact, I would say don't wait until Sunday. This should be a Monday through Sunday type of exercise that like, Lord, I'm going to bless, bless, bless the Lord starting today and tomorrow. And every day I'm going to wake up and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to worship till I worship. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reflecting on who God is and what God has done. I got I to gotta get from the horizontal to the vertical because that ultimately is what it's all about, isn't it? It's we, we so often we focus on everything that's vertical, I mean horizontal. We're consumed with the horizontal, but God wants us to be consumed with the vertical. We get the vertical right, the horizontal falls into place. So often, like, I got to get my relationships right. I got to get my work stuff right. Get, the, get your relationship with the Lord right. Start worshiping him and everything else falls into place. Somebody just say something. <laughs> See, here's what's going on. David is remembering to worship deep from his soul. And he does that, and this is the next progression, by remembering God's works. He remembers God's work. See, the way David stirs his soul is to remember all of God's redemptive benefits. And there's plenty. Look at verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Why does he say forget not? Because we forget. Anybody here ever forget anything? Pam is saying, well, you do. <laughs> to me, I, yeah, we, we all forget. In fact, Deuteronomy 6.12, God says, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. He brought you out of bondage because we can forget all the great things that God has done. We can be consumed by the moment, and that's all we see. We have a myopic view on what's going on right here, and we forget all the great things the Lord has done. That's why over and over and over and over and over again in the Bible, we're told to remember. That's why they had the Passover, to remember God's deliverance. Because it is when we remember who God is that all of a sudden we can bless his holy name. John Calvin, when he was talking about worship, he says this. He says, it is in our own ingratitude which hinders us from engaging in this service. It's when we have this ingratitude of all that he has done that we don't worship. But then he goes on to say this. He says, remembering God's benefits is the chief 
exercise of true religion. Now, I've, you've heard me say, I don't like religion. But the fact is, religion is trying to do all these externals. But see, it is when we remember all of God's benefits, all that God has done, that it becomes this inside-out exercise. It's not an outside-in. It, it comes from within. That's transformation. So David reflects on some of God's benefits. He starts out, first one in verse 3. His forgiveness, God's forgiveness. Notice, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. Forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. It's the reason Jesus came into this world. He came to die. He came to be a sacrificial lamb, to die in your place on the cross, to take the wrath that you deserve for your sins. And that when you turn from your, your sin and self and turn to Jesus and, and, and embrace him and, and ask him, confess your sins and ask him forgiveness, guess what he does? He forgives you your sin. See, it's just, we, we literally could stop right there. The fact that your sins have been forgiven should cause us to bless the Lord. The fact is he releases us from the wages of our sin. Romans 6.23, I'll put it on the screen. For the wages of sin is death. What's a wage? It's what we earn. The wages of sin, what we earn because of our sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is because of the work of Jesus on the cross... And forgive us of our sins that we no longer face death, but we can have eternal life in him. The fact is, when we ask for forgiveness, he forgives us and he releases us from the penalty of our sin. Look down at verse 10. He says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Because if he did, that would be a horrific thing. But this is the love of God right here. Look at verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. I'll talk about that in a minute. As far as east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So, like, 23 years ago, 22 years ago, I received Christ as Lord and Savior. I had lived a long life full of sin. I don't have to take that with me. That, that semi-load of sins has been separated from me as far as is east is from west. Now, I'm glad he didn't say as far as north is from south. Because north is, a, you can go a long way north, but at some point you get to the North Pole, right? And then you start going which direction again? South. But as far as east is from west... You're always going east or you're always going west. I mean, he's removed that from us. It's a wonderful thing. That is the good news of the gospel. Listen, in Christ it says he forgives some of your iniquity. Is that what it says? The word all here is really important. All. Listen, if you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior and you're still 
feeling the weight and the guilt of past sin. You don't need to. That's been taken from you. He died for you. All of your sin has been atoned for. Notice what it says. Who, who forgives all of your sin. That is in the present active tense. It's an ongoing reality. God's forgiveness is your present possession. It's not something that's going to take place in the future. If you've asked God to forgive your sins, it's a done deal. You don't have to wait for a priest to grant absolution. You don't have to, you know, go to a place that's not in the Bible called purgatory to work off your, your, uh, the effects of your sins. It's over. It's done. He forgives all your inequities, past, present, and future. Amen. No wonder David cries, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. But David also remembers, secondly, God's healing. He remembers God's healing. Notice verse, verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Who heals all your diseases. Now, God can certainly heal you physically. But this most likely refers to your spiritual healing. To the cleansing from the guilt of sin and the effects of sin. That's why Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, with his wounds we are what? We are healed. In fact, Psalm 147.3 says, he leads or he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. See, it is through the fat sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that we are healed spiritually from the effects of our sins. That's why Roman 8.1 says this, and if you don't have this marked in your Bibles, I would encourage you to mark it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Like we have been healed from the effects of our sins. Now, what about our physical healing? If we're in Christ, will we be physically healed? Yes. Will it happen here on earth? No. When we are glorified, we are going to be completely healed. In fact, we will have new resurrected bodies, and those bodies will be fine. Some of you think, my body looks pretty good. Listen, it's nothing like what your resurrected body will be. And some of you are thinking, I can't wait for my resurrected body. <laughs> and the fact is, we're told in Revelation chapter uh, Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall no more uh, be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. David reflects on God's healing. But third, he remembers God's redemption. He remembers God's redemption. Look at verse 4. Who redeems your life from the pit. The Bible tells us that prior to Christ, we were all slaves to sin. Just read Romans chapter 6. We were in bondage. But Jesus bought us for a price. And what was the price? His own blood. He bought us with a price. He paid our ransom to redeem us, to free us. Now... If you're a United States citizen living in another country and you get kidnapped, 
by a terrorist, what is the United States government not going to do? They're not going to negotiate. They're not going to pay the ransom, or at least that's what we learn on TV. It could be totally different than that, but let's just go with that. So that's bad news for the person that has been kidnapped. Because they may just throw you in a pit forever. That's your lot at that point in life. But if you're in Christ, the ransom has been paid. And not only that, the terrorist has been destroyed. That's what happened on the cross. Satan was defeated and we were redeemed. Listen, if you remember that truth, you worship. Fourth, David remembers God's steadfast love and mercy. Again, verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. I love the imagery here. Have any of you ever wanted to wear a crown before? Okay, probably not. But think about it. If you had a crown that spoke of God's steadfast love and his mercy, that would be an amazing crown because that word steadfast love, it's, it's, it's the word said. It's used throughout the Old Testament. It, it's, it's a loyal love. It's, it's, it's this amazing love that God gives to those whom he chooses. It's a faithful love. It's, it's this loving kindness. Now let me tell you about this has said, this steadfast love. It has nothing to do with what you've accomplished. It has everything to do with who Christ is. Let me say that again. It has nothing to do with, with you or what you have accomplished. It has everything to do with God and his character. The fact is we love because he first loved us. In fact, we learn in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were following the prince of the power of the air, that we were, we were like the rest of mankind. And then you get to verse 4. One of the greatest, and this isn't my saying, one of the greatest buts in the Bible but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. See, this is the steadfast love. This is the unconditional love that we get to be crowned with in Christ. And he also talks about mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. We talked about it. What do we deserve? Because of our sin, we deserve death. But because God is a merciful God, he had his son stand in our place on the cross and take the wrath that we deserved. Once again, it's an amazing thing to behold. We receive mercy. You see how David's heart is starting to churn as he recounts all of these great benefits of God. And then fifth, he recounts, he remembers God's righteousness and justice. God is always right. He is always just. He is a just God. And we can trust him because all of his ways are right. We see that in verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. 
that's our God. But then this. Six, David remembers God's grace and patience. He remembers God's grace and his patience. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. How many of you are pretty excited about the fact that God is slow to anger? Can you imagine if God got angry like we did? There'd be a lot of puffs of smoke all over the world. Poof, poof, poof. <laughs> you know, it's like, smite them. <laughs> and then like, you're gone. The Lord, the, the Lord is merciful and grace is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. David is reminded of God's grace gift. We know that salvation is a gift of God. We can't earn it. There's nothing that we can do. It doesn't, just because you come to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you get baptized doesn't make you a Christian. Just, I mean, just because you, 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 you give to the church or whatever you do doesn't make you a Christian. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Paul says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a grace gift. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is our faith in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can have eternal life. And this is not of your own doing. Quit trying to do to save yourself. You can't. It's already been done. There's nothing to do. It's already been done. He says, this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. All you have to do is receive that gift. It is being offered. When Jesus offered his life on the cross, he was offering to those that would receive him eternal life. It's not a result of works so that no one may, be a may boast. Can imagine just a bunch of people walking around saying, I saved myself today. I saved myself. Ah. Well, then I guess Jesus didn't need to go to the cross. But he's also patient, slow to anger. Look at 2 Peter, verse 3. Peter wrote this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Okay, so if you're thinking like, Lord, it's been five days and I've been praying and I still haven't heard from you. And the Lord's thinking, okay, well, that might be like 5,000 years to me, so you just need to keep waiting. But, and he says, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Why is he saying this? Because there were a lot of people saying, the Lord should be returning right now. Why hasn't he returned? And certainly we all want the Lord to return. If you're in Christ, you want the Lord to return because you know heaven's going to be glorious. He says, he's not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I'm thinking, I am so thankful that the Lord was patient. Because 22 years ago, 1998, which is probably 23 years ago, God took my heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh. Did the same thing with my wife. Shortly later with our children. 
I'm so glad that God was patient, not wishing anyone to perish. But here's where we have to be careful. We don't want to test the Lord. Look what he says in verse 10. Here's another but. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. How does a thief come? He doesn't announce it. He comes in the middle of the night when you're not, when you're not w- waking, when you're not awake. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are, are done on it will be exposed. That's why today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the day of rebellion. Listen, God's patience is to lead you to repentance. Not to just like, oh, I think I'm going to get right with the Lord in a couple of years. You're not promised another day. None of us are. That's why every week we implore you, come to Christ. And right now I would tell you, come to Christ. All right, finally, David remembers God's compassion. He remembers God's compassion. Look at verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This is like a loving father's compassion for his child. You know, we have a lot of young children in our church, a lot of babies. We have a lot more babies coming. Thank you, Jesus. Be fruitful and multiply. Something's in the water. You know what it is? It's probably the donuts. It's either the rainbow donuts or it's the press coffee. I don't know what it is. But just, yeah, it's... Yeah, the church is growing. It's called, actually, it's, it's a word. It's called incarnational growth. We're doing a great job of that. All right, I digress. The fact is, God knows our frailties. He knows we need compassion. He knows we need love. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. David's just sensing this, for he knows our frame. He knows us. He remembers that we are dust, that... From the dust we were, we were born. As, as for man, the days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, like grass just goes away quickly. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to his children's children, to, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. David is being reminded that he has a loving, compassionate who knows that his time here on earth is limited. But he's redeemed them. Don't forget God's love for you. His compassion for you. So let's review. When you don't feel like worshiping, what should you do? Worship. And, when, and to, work, to do that, remember his works. But third, we see this. Remember God's sovereign rule. Remember God's sovereign rule. Look at verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And what I think David is reminding us of here is that we're not in control. And when we understand that, that God is God and we are not, we can relax our grip and rest in the goodness and the mercy of God. Know that he's in control. His, a throne, his throne is established in heaven. His kingdom reigns over all. 
Listen, there's a peace. Listen, you could be going through a really difficult time. And there's a peace in knowing that God is God. That he's sovereign. That he's providential. This awakens David's soul. There's a peace that comes with knowing that Jesus is not just our Savior, but that he's Lord over all. That he's ruling and reigning, reigning and he's causing all things to work together for our good, for his glory. For our good and for his glory. I think it was that truth when David got to the end of Romans chapter 11, or that Paul got to the end of Romans chapter 11, that he just cried out these words. Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 33. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. See, it's like when you realize that God is ruling and reigning, it's like you can't help but what? Worship. Worship. Finally, when you remember who God is and reflect on what he's done and you start to worship, as you reflect on all of his benefits and you, you reflect on the fact that he's ruling and reigning, you want to tell other people to worship. And that's what David now is doing. It's like, it's like man, other people got to worship. Look what he says in verse 20. Bless the Lord. Oh, you his angels. He's talking to the angels now. Y'all need to be worshiping. You mighty ones who, who do his word, obeying it, the voice of his word. He says, bless the Lord. All you hosts, worship him. His ministers who do his will, worship him. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Can you see what's happened to David. In desperate times, we've all been there, he realizes he's got the right words. He knows what to say, but his heart isn't there. And so he says, awake soul. Be reminded who God is and what God has done for you. Let that stir you up. It's kind of like what Paul said to Timothy. He says, fan into flame the faith that is in you. Sometimes you've got to fan the flames. That's what David is doing in his own heart. In doing so, he's being reminded of the gospel, of the price that God pays so he could have eternal life. That God being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved him saved him, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die a sacrificial death, a death we should have died. And he raised him on the third day so that by turning from our sin and turning to Jesus Christ, we could have eternal life. If you just preach the gospel to yourself every day, you'd be overwhelmed by worship. 
In fact, there's a book. It's called The Gospel Primer. Pam, who's it by? Vincent. What is it? Milton Vincent. It's a little book. So, guys, this is a good one for you. No pictures, but it's a good one. It, it, it's, it's the gospel primer, and it's about preaching the gospel to yourself every day. And that's what David is doing here. Listen, when you do, you realize the foolishness of trusting in yourself, in your own works, and your own merits. The fact that all your righteous deeds are like filthy rags. But it's when you look to the Lord, and when you remember his benefits, and you remember his sovereign rule, that you can't help but to worship. Now I'm going to ask our worship team to come up here. And as they do, I just, I found this in my notes. It's a list of who God says that I am. And the fact is, who we are in Christ has nothing to do with us, but has everything to do with what Christ has done on our behalf. So as I read this, I just want you to, I just want you to think about this. Be reminded of who you are, of what Christ has done. The fact is, through Christ, I'm dead to sin. I'm spiritually alive. I'm forgiven. Let me turn it around. You're forgiven. You're declared righteous. You're God's possession. You're an heir of God. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing. You are a citizen of heaven. You are free from the law. You've been crucified with Christ. You are free from the desires of the flesh. You've been declared blameless and innocent. You're the light of the world. You're salt of the world. You're victorious over Satan. You've been cleansed from sin. You've been set free in Christ. And you've been set free from the power of sin. You're secure. You're at peace. And you are no longer condemned. If you're in Christ, that's who you are. And when you realize that, what should you be singing? Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads right now as we close out this service. Some of you, this was a message you definitely needed this week because maybe you've allowed... horizontal to cloud out the vertical. If that's you, maybe you just need to ask for forgiveness. It's time to turn your hearts and your minds and your heads back to the Lord. Some of you maybe have never received Christ as Lord and Savior. I believe this is a message that's calling you to embrace Christ. Turn from your sins. Turn to Jesus. We know that salvation is a work of God. But you must embrace Him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you sense God calling you to, to embrace Him today, call upon Him. Say, God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day. Lord, I turn from my sin and I turn to you because I know that you are the only one who gives salvation. Father, I just pray right now for all of us that we would bless your holy name. 
that our hearts would be so stirred by your amazing benefits that we can't help but worship you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.